Our scripture is the Gospel of Luke this morning. And I'm going to be reading verses 36 through 53 of Luke's Gospel. And I want to invite you to stand with me as we read God's Word. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 36 through 53. This is God's Word. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. If you would, please join me in prayer. Father, we ask that right now, resurrection power would be at work as your word is preached. We pray that your power would come through a weak messenger as you always like to work. We pray that you would have us open our ears and our hearts and not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. We pray that you would bless this time to bear fruit for the kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you've ever gone into the hospital with a health scare or you've had a child in the hospital with health issues, you are familiar with this experience of sitting in your, your hospital room and having a visitor come and visit you. And the visitor walks into the room and it could be a friend or a neighbor, it could be a loved one, and they say something to this effect. Everything's going to be all right. They'll let you out of here soon. And they, they do it in a good-natured way, and, and they're, they're trying to make you feel better. They're, they're trying to, to get you to stop stressing and stop having, having anxiety in your heart. But you're, you're sitting there, and, and these words don't really land on you with the intended impact. The words of, of this visitor to your room, they, they don't really take away your anxieties and your fears. 
because you know that this person doesn't speak with any kind of authority. They can't take it away because they don't know what's going on. They don't have the authority to speak into the situation. But it's very different when the doctor enters your room. When the doctor walks into your room and says, everything's going to be all right, I'm releasing you, their words land with power. Their words land on you with relief and produce joy in you. Why? Because the doctor is speaking the same words as your previous visitor, but they're speaking those words with a very different kind of authority. You see, the doctor has brought their qualifications to bear on the situation. They have tested the blood work. They know that the vital signs are strong and they know that nothing stands in the way of your release. And so they sign the paperwork to let you go. But who is there to speak authoritatively when we have scares of a different type? The doctor can speak authoritatively in a situation of a health scare, but, but what do we do about the scares in our life that are a different kind of scare? When you're afraid of your own inner corruption or failure to hit the mark. When you're afraid of your own helplessness. When you're afraid of having no support. Or you're afraid of missing out. Or you're afraid of losing control. When you're afraid of death or some kind of loss. The followers of Jesus had experienced a scare. Their hearts were broken. Their dreams were crushed. And they had just lost their friend and leader to a very public shaming and execution. And now, in our text, we find them hiding in a room together. Afraid for their safety, confused about life and uncertain about their future. And they had some friends who, who came by the room that day to offer some words of assurance and comfort. But those words did not free them from their anxieties because those words were not spoken with authority. Their friends came by and started telling them of something that they thought would lift their hopes. But because those words were not spoken authoritatively, it did nothing for them. It didn't matter if their friends told them everything was going to be all right. How could they be sure? How could they be certain that things would be all right? They could be sure when another visitor came into the room. They could be sure when the resurrected Christ appeared to them and when he entered into their room and authoritatively spoke peace over every scare, over every fear, over every uncertainty about their future. And so this morning we are going to, to look at this passage in which Jesus, alive from the dead, comes and speaks a word over his people that makes their fear melt like wax in a hot fire. He speaks a word of peace over them. And I want you to see this morning the connection between the resurrection and peace. The connection between the resurrection and peace. And there's one point I want to drive home today. It's this. This is the walk away. We can rest in peace 
Because Jesus rose in power. We can rest in peace because Jesus rose in power. So let's get into this text. This is the point. You can rest in peace because Jesus rose in power. Now, at dawn on that Sunday, after Jesus died, several women went to visit the tomb. They were coming to bring spices to embalm his body. You know, spices back then were like formaldehyde for us today. They were coming to bring formaldehyde, but little did they know they should have been bringing them breakfast. They were coming to to take care of, of the dead body of Jesus. But something astonishing happens. They come to an empty tomb. They come to an empty tomb and Jesus appears to one of the women and they go running back to the 11 to share this good news with them, this astonishing news. And the 11 disciples, they hear this news and they're like, y'all are crazy. Y'all, y'all, y'all done lost y'all mind. Back from the dead? The tomb is empty? You're crazy. We saw what Rome did to him. People don't come back from the dead. Listen, people in this day and age, in our modern day and age, they tend to believe that the ancients were more gullible. But nobody at this time was more likely to believe in a resurrection than you are today. They expected a resurrection about as much as you do when you drive past a cemetery on top of the hill. That's how much they expected to to see a resurrection or to hear any news of a resurrection. These these followers, their lives are in shambles. Their lives are in ruin. They're afraid. They're confused. They don't know which way to go. And two of these these followers, they decide that you're just, they're just going to, they're going to leave and they're going to go to a place called Emmaus. They walk away from the Jesus thing. They're walking away from the Jesus thing and they're going to Emmaus. But little do they know that though they are walking away from the Jesus thing, Jesus is going to walk after them. They might be trying to leave this Jesus thing behind, but Jesus will not leave them behind. He winds up following them on the road. He engages them in conversation. And then he begins to give them a lesson in how to, how to read the Bible. How to read the Bible in a way that they would find hope. Because previously they were reading the Bible, they were going back through the scriptures, and because they didn't see Jesus in the scriptures, they didn't see hope. Because they didn't see Jesus in the scriptures, they didn't see real peace coming to life before their very eyes. But then they get to the point in their journey where they get to the house and, and they invite this traveler to come in with them. And as he had done many times, Jesus sits down at the table. He breaks the bread. And then all of a sudden, it's like the scales fall from their eyes and they recognize him in the breaking of the bread. And then he disappears. And they say, we're not our hearts burning within us. When he was explaining the scriptures to us on the road. And then they get up and they go and they run. And they come into the room of these 11 disciples. And that's where we start our text this morning. And they tell them this incredible news. But still, even though they had two people telling them that they had laid eyes on Jesus. 
They could not believe it. They could not believe it. They were looking for peace. But peace was elusive. And peace feels like it's elusive for all of us, doesn't it? Do you feel like peace is elusive? I can look at your life and I can look at my own life and say, yes, you think that peace is elusive. I know that all of us think that peace is elusive. We spend millions of dollars on insurance every year to get some peace that if something goes wrong with our possessions, we'll be covered. We're, we're looking for peace. Americans spend millions of dollars every year on vacations in an effort to get away from it all. Even though the kids come with us, we're looking for peace. Some of us pay for organic food and gym memberships to avoid diseases and to ensure good health. We're looking for peace. Some of us meditate to try and empty our minds. We do yoga. We're looking for peace. We send soldiers to war because we're looking for peace. We send children to bed because we're looking for peace. I know I got a witness in here. I ain't the only one. We send the kids to bed looking for peace, hoping that they will wake up the next day and things will be different. But lo and behold, they wake up early in the morning and they still as crazy as we left them in the bed. But here's the deal, y'all. In Luke 24, we see that peace isn't something that you go looking for. Peace is someone who comes looking for you. Paul would say in Ephesians 2 that Christ is our peace. He himself is our peace. What, what, how would it change your thinking if you know that peace was a person who comes looking for you, who stands ready and available to you every day to give you a full taste of the assurance and the comfort that he has? That your peace does not have to depend upon how nice a vacation you take or how healthy your food is if you can afford it or how much quiet time you get to meditate. What if that's not where peace comes from at all? What if true peace isn't found in all state, but in the almighty? What if true peace isn't found in a mountain retreat, but at Mount Calvary? What, what if true peace isn't gained by eating organic food and working out, but by tasting the bread of life and the finished work of Christ? True peace does not come from emptying your mind in meditation, but from filling your mind with the empty tomb. Because the Father sent his son to war with sin, death, and the devil, we have peace. Because the Father sent his son to sleep in death for our peace, and he woke up in resurrection, things are different. Things are different because he got up that morning. Peace isn't something we go find. It's someone who comes to find us. Now, as we said, verse 36, these disciples were not more prone to believe that someone could rise from the dead. They, they weren't looking for something to make up, to follow. I want you to see that they weren't going about trying to concoct 
a story to make sense of what happened with Jesus. The, res the risen one came and found them. The resurrection intruded upon their despair. The resurrection broke in through their depression and their confusion and their anxiety. And Jesus comes and he announces peace to you. But I want to mention a few things about this text. First, I want you to notice that Jesus comes and finds his people in their hiding place. Now, ever since Genesis 3, the impulse of our souls is to hide. We hide for any number of reasons. We hide because of our shame. And we try to cover it. We try to put on a happy face. We, we hide because of, because of our, our sin. We, we hide it. We try to cover up. We don't want anyone to see it. It is our fallen impulse to hide. We all have our own version of fig leaves. And these disciples are hiding out of fear for their own safety, fear for their own lives, that associating with Jesus could bring them to a similar fate. What they don't know is that Jesus associated with them in order to bring them to his fate. But they don't know that yet. They're in hiding. And Jesus comes and he finds his people in their hiding place. Do you know that that's what Jesus is still doing today? The risen Jesus is still coming to find people in their hiding place. And we all have hiding places. Places that we go to to try and cover up. It's not just introverts who hide. We all hide. But look at Jesus and his kindness coming to them. He sees them before they see him. He sees the look on their faces. He sees the despair. He sees their body language. They are absolutely devastated. But then he appears to them and speaks this word of peace. I don't know where you're at this morning, but faith finds the universal and personal word of peace from Jesus himself to be directly relevant, directed to you. That's faith hears the word of Jesus, peace to you, as a personal word. He sees them, and I, I want you to think about something. The last time these followers saw Jesus, it was, it was looking over their shoulder as they were running away from him, leaving him out to dry. The last time they saw Jesus, they were turning their backs on him. They saw him being dragged away. I don't know what depth of communication came from his face when they locked eyes as they ran away. But I know one thing. If the person that I recently betrayed and walked away from, ran and bailed on, the person I claimed to love had just appeared before my eyes, I would be terrified. I would be terrified. They, they are scared. They're, they're not just startled because this figure appears in the room with them. They're afraid. They are, they're afraid. They don't know. It, has he come back for revenge? Has he, has he come back for punishment? But what we see in the text is Jesus doesn't come back for revenge. He comes back for redemption. He doesn't come back for punishment. He comes back to give them peace. He speaks the word of peace over them. And it's like all of the despair 
It's like they can't get it into words. They are marveling. They can't believe it. They still think that he's a phantom. And so Jesus says, give me something to eat. Because ghosts don't eat. Spirits don't eat. He gives them the empirical proof that he is alive from the dead. And then I love, I love what Jesus does. He says, look at my hands. Don't be afraid that I've come back to get you. (laughs) I'm the God who heals wounds. If you look at these wounds, you know that I tasted the judgment for you. I am the God who comes to heal and restore. I'm the God who can sympathize and save. I'm the God who knows what it's like to face what you're facing right now. And I have the power to see you through it, to overcome it. And I think this is a very powerful idea to think about. You know that the standard greeting of the day was shalom. Shalom Alechem, peace be to you. And it's the same thing that Jesus says to them in this passage. Peace be to you. That morning they had heard others speak the word of peace to them, but it was like, the faint, trembling voice of peace that left no impact on them. It was the discouraged and defeated shalom from their counterparts in the room with them. But because this word is spoken by Jesus, it hits them like an 18-inch subwoofer bumping the bass when you pull up to the, to the stoplight. That piece rumbles them. It's like a solid, firm word of peace that enfolds them, that carries them, that lifts them up. Those same words of peace are spoken by Jesus with an altogether different authority. If you will, the doctor enters the room of his patients and he brings his qualifications to bear on the situation. Jesus has tested the blood work and he knows that the blood works. Jesus has shown his vital signs to them that he lives. And Jesus comes and he he speaks the word of release over their lives. They are free from sin and death. They are free from slavery to fear. They are free from anxiety and worry. They are free from having to look good enough for the people around them. They are free of concern for their lives because he signed the paperwork for their release with his own blood. It's a covenant signed in the blood of Christ that says that they will go free. And that's what Jesus tells them they should have been seeing in the scriptures from day one. He wants to show them the eternal plan and empirical proof that this was supposed to be all along. The eternal plan. And the empirical proof is what Jesus gives them in this passage. Verses 44 through 49, he tells his disciples that it's always been God's plan to restore peace to his people through the suffering servant and then to restore peace to the world through his suffering people. That has always been God's plan. Plan B is C, plan A. That's God's plan. But I love this powerful notion. I love this powerful notion in verses 50 through 53. Look at this. He finds them in their hiding place 
at the beginning of the passage. But that's not where he leaves them. Verse 50, then he led them out. When Jesus announces peace over you, he leads you out to do something about the lives of other people. Look at the text. He led them out and they worshiped him. And then what they do? And returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Jesus finds his people in their hiding place. He announces peace over their lives. And that peace is so resonant. It produces such joy that they have the resources to go back into the dangerous city to spread that peace. Because, you know, peace is not just a state of mind. Peace has always been in the scriptures. It has developed all through God's people. Israel knew that peace was full flourishing. It was not just the, the, the cessation of hostilities. It was not just the end of fighting. It was the full flourishing of every aspect of life for every sphere of society. Not just for the haves, but also for the, for the have-nots. The have-nots become the haves when this peace gets around. The broken find healing when this peace is spread around. Those who are lonely find community when this peace is spread around. And it's that peace that they go back into Jerusalem with. And we see the rest of this story. Look, it seems like this is the end of Luke's story, but actually it's just the beginning of the story of God's people. It's just the beginning of a new phase of the story of God's people because this, this explains everything about what develops in the rest of the book of Acts. How could they go out and preach in the face of threat to their life? Because the one who lives gave them his peace. How, how could they have such disregard for their own lives in an effort to see other people's lives enriched? Because the one who rose from the dead gave them his peace. How could they, after being beaten for preaching his name in the synagogue, go out rejoicing that they were worthy to be, to be counted uh, sufferers for Jesus? Because the risen one gave them his peace. A peace is not dependent upon the circumstances around you. A peace is not dependent upon whether you get the job or not. A peace that isn't dependent upon your kid's behavior that day. I know, it's hard to believe. Can such things be? But in this passage and in the life of God's people, we see that his intent was always to give us and the world a steady, rock-solid peace and flourishing. Are there aspects of your life that you feel like aren't really lifting off today? They're just, they're just, they're dead. Whether that's your spiritual life or your vocational life or your relational life, God's peace addresses all of that. And that's the peace that he invites his people to enjoy. He starts with calming their hearts. He starts with assuring them that he is indeed risen. He gives them the eternal plan and the empirical proof that they need to go forward with this message. And by the end of the passage, they are going out. I would love to see Grace Mosaic have such hold of this peace and to see this peace have such hold of us that we continued to go out into the city with this joy, with this peace. It's like the old song, this, this joy that I have, the world can't take it away. This joy that I have, the world can't take it away. 
This joy that I have, the world can't take it away. The world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. And then it goes on and says, this peace that I have. Everything you have from the hand of God can't be taken away by the world. The world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. And the other beautiful part of this passage is that the text says, look at the end of it. When you have met Jesus, risen, you are continually blessing God. To bless him is to speak highly of him. To, to, to announce his greatness and his goodness. They were gathered together, worshiping, continually blessing God. It's a beautiful thing that God's peace brings into our lives. But let me close with this. On most nights, before I go to bed, I go in and I look in on my kids. And it's particularly meaningful on Saturday nights. Because Saturday nights, you may have heard, are a fairly stressful time for someone who's, whose work it is to lead people in worship and to preach the hope of God's grace to them. And I'm reminded every time I see a sermon in my kids. Because when I look at my kids, they are knocked out. They are asleep. They are resting. And it's like a picture of what our Heavenly Father wants for us. It's a picture of what he wants for his people. It's a picture of the peace that he has come to give us with the message of the resurrection. Now, I know, I know you might say, yeah, but they don't have any bills. <laughs> of course they can have peace. They don't have any bills. But the risen Christ would say to you, do you have any bills of substance? No, they came due at Calvary. I paid the price, and the resurrection is the receipt. Peace be to you. <laughs> yeah, you, might, you might say, you know, well, well, yeah, of course these kids seem to have peace and, and rest. They don't have any burdens. But the risen Christ would say to you, I have relieved you of the great burden of sin and death. Now your only burden is to live as someone who is loved. Peace be to you. You might say, yeah, but, but these kids, they don't, they don't really have any, any conflicts in their lives. And Jesus would say to you, yeah, but the greatest conflict of the ages I have settled. In my death, in my burial, in my resurrection, I have done such a work that one day you will live to see death dead at your feet. I have struck such a blow that one day you will live to see tyranny dead at your feet, racism dead at your feet, evil dead at your feet, injustice dead at your feet, and you will stand there a conqueror because you are united to me, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The message for today, friends, is you can rest in his peace because he rose in power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for all that you were willing to surrender in order to give us peace. You could have left this world in ruin, 
But before the ages, you set your love on this world and on a people to raise up and restore to life. And we are grateful to be tasting that peace today. We are grateful that we don't have to wait for some far off moment to taste your peace now. That right now we can enjoy your peace. Even if it's just a a taste for now, we know that we will one day have it in full measure. That one day you will return and you will put down all evil. That you will come back and you will restore wholeness to this world. And we pray, Father, that we would be a people of peace. That you would fill our hearts with peace because the grave is empty. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us with your peace. Stabilize us. Help us to flourish. And Lord, help us to be peacemakers in a world where people are so fast to instigate and cause divisions. May we be a people who's looking to create union, looking to create peace, looking to foster the peace that you paid such a dear cost to achieve. Help us to be your Easter people in a Good Friday world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.